Today's reading is from Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord blesses you from Zion. May you see prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The word of the Lord. Joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Thus spake uh, G.K. Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy, and no, I'm not just filling out my sermon with G.K. Chesterton quotes, uh, um, despite what people like our own Nate Swanson uh, jokingly posted uh, an article to making that um, accusation a few weeks ago on my Facebook page. No, 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 that's what Eugene Peterson quotes are for in this sermon series, uh, to flesh it out. So, this summer we're doing a sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent, so Psalms 120 through 134, and, and we're looking at them, reading them along with Eugene Peterson, the late great uh, uh, translator of scripture and Presbyterian minister, theologian, as our guide looking at what each of these psalms has to say about one of the great themes of being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so far, we've covered some huge topics, repentance, providence, worship, service, help, security, joy, and work. And today, we get to learn the secret of happiness. Now, happiness is not something that you normally associate with being a, you know, seriously religious person. We think that that's something that takes lots of effort, and it's hard, and it's demanding, and it requires you to be serious and austere, you know, as we're following Christ through this veil of tears. And who can be happy when there's so much sin, so much sorrow, so much suffering, so much systemic injustice that surrounds us everywhere? Yet the great secret of following Jesus is that when we walk in his footsteps, when we start to see the world through his eyes, we aren't overwhelmed with sorrow. Being a disciple isn't a recipe for just perpetual sadness, but actually contains a secret formula for being truly happy. In verses 1 to 2 of our psalm, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. And that word that gets translated as blessed in these verses, it could also be translated as happy, because it's actually different than the normal Hebrew word that gets translated as blessed. Like when God blessed Abraham in Genesis 12, that's, that's a different word. That's Barak. But our word is Asherah. That's where the name Asher comes from, is this Hebrew word Asherah. And it's, it's, it's the same word that's uh, behind the sort of the Beatitudes, the blessed are the. And so blessing is the way to distinct, what's the distinction between blessing and happiness? But, but we would say that blessing is the process and happiness is the result. Blessing is what God does to us and happiness is what God does in us. Blessing is external, happiness is internal. And our use of the word blessed, it does match what this psalm means in certain contexts. 
think of a person posting a, a picture with a friend or a family or on vacation, and then they tag it, they give it the hashtag blessed. We mean the same thing when, when, when we say blessed as the translators chose. And so what being hashtag blessed means is that we're experiencing joy. We're experiencing contentment because of something that has come to us as sheer grace. And so we have gratitude. So hashtag blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. And so in those verses, those first two verses of Psalm 128, lies the secret to being truly happy. But before we talk about happiness, I want to put in a brief word about unhappiness. Because I was, as I was reading this chapter and reading Psalm 128, it made me think back to a lecture I listened to a couple of years ago by Arthur Brooks. And Arthur Brooks, up until very recently, he was the, the president of the American Enterprise Institute, and he wrote a book on happiness, but he distilled it down to this hour-long lecture. And so Brooks did a bunch of research on happiness, and, and, and one of the things he found is that when people say, I want to be happy, one of the things that they're really saying is, I want to be less unhappy. So one of the keys of happiness, and this seems obvious, but... but, but it, it's sort of saying, like, I, I want to be in less pain means take away the things that are causing me pain. I want to be happy means take away these things in my life that are making me unhappy. And if you can get rid of those things that make people miserable, they will automatically start feeling happy. And he's careful to say that he's not talking here about, uh, you know, the 3% or so of the population that have clinical, you know, treatment-resistant, persistent depression. But if you want to start making people happier, get rid of the things that make them unhappy. And order, in order to do that, we've got to understand what is it? What are the things that make people unhappy? And in his research, he found there's three categories of things that generally make people unhappy. First, there's just the aggravations of normal life. And then there's life circumstances. And third is this bigger category, persistent problems. So under aggravations uh, for people, just regular everyday aggravations, the number one, would you guess what the number one aggravation is for people in their everyday life? What do you say? Traffic. Ooh, number two. That's very good. Number one is tough. Money? Well, it, it's related to the fact that we've got to trade our time for money. And number one is spending time with your boss. That is the number one everyday aggravator, is spending time with your boss. Now, I think Matt Anderson, like, he couldn't even believe this was on the list. Like, he was like, that's not even a thing. It's the best thing I ever do in my life is see you every day. We can talk about the NBA. It's so much fun. But, you know, for other people, you know, we've all had those bosses where it's like, oh, gosh, I have to talk to you and I have to pretend like I'm busy and we can't, like, be talking around the water cooler anymore because the boss is around. And so it makes sense. So if you want to be happier, spend less time around your boss. Except for Matt, more time for us, more time the merrier. Number two, traffic. Absolutely. No one's ever sat in traffic like, like between you know, going to St. Paul or going north, and you're like, wow, I'm so happy that these cars aren't moving. I have more time to listen to this podcast or this audio book, which is a good use of your time. But if you're thinking about, well, should I trade like a nicer house or something for a commute? Brooks says, always, always, always go with the shorter commute. That's going to make you happier because it's going to remove a major source of unhappiness. 
Remove that, you'll, you'll be happier. Then he has, you know, this issue of circumstances, life circumstances that make us unhappy. And the number one cause of unhappiness in this category is, is loneliness, is, is, is not having close friendships, close relationships. And, and do you know the group that struggles the most with loneliness in our country? What? The elderly? Not even the elderly. It's actually middle-aged men are the most lonely demographic of people in this, in this country. And, um, you know, we, yes, we, I have to include myself in this category, we are lonely. And when they, when they ask this question, this survey question, they ask 60-year-old people, married people in this case, um, you know, is your, they ask the, the, the husbands, is your wife your best friend? 60% answered yes, my wife is my best friend. They ask that of the wives, the percentage that said yes, my, my, my husband is my best friend, 30%. So men just don't have a lot of close friendships. Friendships take time, they, they, they take work, they take emotional, relational investment, and if, you know, there's, there's t-ball to coach and, and stuff to do, like who has time for friends? Brooke says you want to be happier, spend less time being lonely, spend more time with your friends and building friendships. But then there's this big category of persistent problems. And Brooke says this is basically people who, in the category of persistent problems, it's just this general overall um, malaise, this dissatisfaction with life. People who are unhappy because they thought, well, life was supposed to be better than this, more fulfilling. I was supposed to be happier. And when people have this, this persistent problem of unhappiness, uh, there's four ways that they try to deal with this. They seek fame or honor, power, pleasure, or money. And this is throughout history. The, the philosophers have talked about that. That when people are unhappy, they seek after fame, they seek after power, they seek after pleasure, they seek after money. And why do people think that you can get happiness from those four things? And that's because that's what the world says works. And, and I think social media is actually designed to hit on at least two of these all the time, pleasure and fame. The more hits, the more likes, the more shares, the more dopamine hits that we are given, right? It's a very simple formula. But St. Thomas Aquinas, the, the great theologian of the church, he said that all four of these are temptations to look for for happiness because they're all substitutes for God. And they all operate according to what Brooks calls the worldly formula for happiness. Love things, use people. That's what the world offers. Love things and use people. But the real secret to happiness, it's not just seen in the opposite. You know, love people, use things. That's getting closer at the truth, but it's actually richer than that. And the formula comes right here in Psalm 128. We see it. Fear God. Live obediently. Love people enjoy things. And here's the really provocative part about all this. Peterson says that, that, that people think being happy or being happier is really hard, and, and, and he says it's actually not. He says it's, it's, it's actually harder, it's more difficult to be unhappy. He writes, the easiest thing in the world is being a Christian. What is hard is, is not being a Christian. It's not Christians who have it hard, but non-Christians. There's no tricks, he says, in getting in on this life of blessing and no luck required. We simply become Christians and we begin the life of faith. 
We acknowledge God as our maker and lover and accept Christ as the means by which we can be in living relationship with God. We accept the announced and proclaimed truth that God is at the center of our existence. Find out how he has constructed this world, how he has provided for our redemption, and proceed to walk in that way. And so happiness starts with fearing God. The Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 128 says... Happiness starts with fearing God, with reverence. And reverence is the simple acknowledgement that God is God and we're not. That this world needs a Savior, and only Jesus fits that job description. And that our efforts to try to make this world a better place, to try to make a difference won't amount to a hill of beans unless we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Otherwise, we're just flailing about doing nothing like those, um, you know, those sock people outside of car dealerships, right? They're just a lot of motion not doing anything. And so reverence, it cultivates in us this awe at the world around us, awe at our fellow image-bearing human beings. It, it, it cultivates in us a sense of humility, about our place in the world, what we can accomplish and expect and worship because God far surpasses what we could hope or imagine. And reverence is wonderful because it's this acid that just eats away at our self-centeredness, our self-importance. We can let God be God, Jesus be Jesus, the Spirit be the Spirit, and then you can be you. When we were starting this church journey almost six years ago, one of the things we did as getting started was um, this group of folks, we went around and visited a bunch of different congregations just to see what was, was happening. And, and surprisingly, through that process, people began to articulate, um, you know, this is a group of people, average age at that point, probably about 25, 26 years old in that group. And, and, and folks began to articulate a desire when they went to places for reverence that the leaders of the church wouldn't just be funny or relatable or casual or, or, or practical, but that they would be focused on connecting us with something transcendent, something beyond our everyday experience. And so happiness in Psalm 128 starts with reverence. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord. All right, the second secret to happiness, living obediently. Happy is everyone who walks in his ways. On this, Peterson says, not only do we let God be God as he really is, but we start doing the things for which he made us. We take a certain route. We follow certain directions. We do specific things. There are ethical standards to follow, moral values to foster. There are spiritual disciplines to practice, social justice to pursue. There are personal relationships to develop. One of the main purposes of life groups is not just to get people together to gain knowledge of what the scriptures say, but to reflect together on, given what scripture says, how then shall we live? How shall we live obediently? Because when we live obediently, we're going with the grain of the universe, as it were. And as the saying goes, those who go against the grain of the universe are bound to get splinters. The happiness formula so far, fear God, live obediently. And third is love people, value people. 
We see that principle in, in verses 3 and 4. Where the psalmist writes, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so the picture here is, is of a man inside of his house, around his table with his wife and his children. And this is a picture of pure happiness in ancient Israel. Happiness was enjoying life with the people you love. And before we judge, you know, this illustration as too patriarchal, it's difficult to stress just how precarious life was in the ancient world. To be a man in your house with your wife and grown children was an incredible blessing. It's not something you could take for granted. Women died in childbirth all the time. Children often failed to reach adulthood. So these loving relationships were, were precious. You had to cherish them. You couldn't take them for granted to experience them and to give credit to God for that. It's a source of true happiness. It comes from investing and valuing people and experiences with them like gathering around a table rather than things. So fear God, live obediently, love people, and last of all, enjoy things. Verse 2 says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. And so happiness in the end also comes from enjoying the fruits of our labor, from enjoying the products of meaningful work. Last trivia question for the day, but what percentage of Americans do you think are satisfied with their work? This is an all play, so anyone can shout it out if they want to. What do you say? What? 25? 42? 15? Did I hear another one? Two. two per, who said 2%? <laughs> Stu, hey, listen. You're in that 2%, though. It's amazing. It's really cool. Um, drum roll. The number. Thank you for those who did the drum roll, too. Grace, I appreciate that. Um, it's actually 89%. Nine out of 10 people are satisfied with their work. Oh, satisfied. I mean, maybe that's not that high of a standard, but like not dissatisfied, satisfied, going, yeah, this is good enough. This is okay. And so m- meaningful work, it, it's something that provides you with, you know, something to do, a feeling of participation in society. You're doing something productive, and, and you also have a little bit of a surplus to enjoy. That's another secret to being happy. You know, there's the old question, can money buy you happiness? And what's the answer to that question? Up to a certain point. It depends, right? If you are a person living in dire poverty, where you're below subsistence, one of the easiest ways to increase the happiness of someone in, a, in, a, in the circumstances of dire poverty, where they can't provide for themselves, is to just give them more money. More money in that circumstance equals more happiness. That's a very simple way to increase happiness of people who are extremely poor. But once you have reached this threshold of enough, you're at or just above subsistence, more money doesn't actually equal more happiness. And so enjoy things. Enjoy the fruit of the labors of of your hand. It, It means simply being grateful that God has provided for our daily bread So take satisfaction in the fruits of your labor. They aren't guilty pleasures. They are God's good gifts. 
All right, so the secret God-given formula for happiness this morning. Just add it all up, mix in water, stir, and you're, you're guaranteed to be happy. Fear God, live obediently, love people, and enjoy things. You know, and, and you can say, well, this sounds so simple. This sounds so facile. Uh, you know, does it work? And I guess we'll never know unless we give it an honest try. And the last word, as is fitting, goes to Eugene. He says, everyone wants to be happy, to be blessed. Too many people are willfully refusing to pay attention to the one who wills our happiness and ignorantly supposing the Christian way is harder, the harder way to get what they want than doing it on their own. But they are wrong. God's ways and God's presence are where we experience happiness that lasts. Do it the easy way, the Psalm 128 way. All you who fear God, how blessed you are, how happily you walk on the smooth, straight road. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me.